You are listening to weekly messages from Austin Christian Fellowship. For more information about ACF, visit acfellowship.org. Wow, what a warm welcome. Well, my name is John David Vasquez, and I have the privilege of serving as the worship pastor here. Uh, But today, I get the honor of preaching and continuing in our Signs and Wonders series. Uh, Can we just thank our worship team again one more time, and uh, Linda for that amazing testimony. Uh, Little Abby didn't realize it because we didn't necessarily talk before um, the the service this morning, but she she basically preached my whole message in that little uh, uh, time of exhortation and worship. It was it was so powerful. Um, if you need a Bible, um, we have uh, Bibles uh, in our volunteers coming down the aisles. If you need a Bible, won't you raise your hand? Uh, they'd be glad to give this Bible to you. You could take it home, you know, fill it with uh, highlighters and underlines and your notes. And, uh, you know, uh, the Bible is just so precious. And, um, you know, we have to take advantage of every opportunity um, to get inside of it. You know, and, and when it comes to church, uh, I, I had a, a pastor friend of mine say, you wouldn't go to the gun range without your gun. You probably should come to church with your Bible. I'm just, that's all I'm going to say about that. I'm going to leave that there. I'll let you stew on that. Let the Lord convict you. Uh, I'm just kidding. We love you. Obviously, there's no condemnation for those that have been set free in Christ Jesus. And you would know that if you had your Bible. Uh, <laughs> uh, I want to welcome also our online visitors. Say thank you for tuning in. Uh, we want to welcome you and invite you to come and be a part of our in-person service. We have a 9.30 and 11.15. We'd love to see you at some point. Amen. Um, <clears throat> I've been debating between two jokes to tell at this point in my message. Uh, I have a mosquito joke and a doctor's visit joke. I think I'm going to go with the mosquito joke. <laughs> So it's in moments like these, I'm reminded of what a mentor and friend of mine once said, I feel like a mosquito at a nudist colony. I know what I'm here to do, I just don't know where to start. So we're going to get into the message today and we're going to cover a lot of ground. (laughs) Um, And uh, it's going to be good. Um, All right, thank you, you know. You only have to suffer through that one. Second service will suffer through the other one. Maybe both, you know. If you want to hear the other one, come back to second service. Uh, how about this? Let's, um, let's, uh, let's make it official and go before the Lord in prayer. Amen. Father God, we thank you so much uh, for uh, our breath in our lungs, God, that you have provided. Um, we're, thank- we're thankful, God, that we have this privilege to come and gather together in your name, to hear from your word, your heart for us as a community, but also as the Big C Church. Lord, I pray, God, that our hearts would be open to hear what you have to say. Lord, that you would help me to articulate and communicate your word faithfully for the equipping and empowering of the saints in this room and those that are listening online to go out and advance your kingdom of light on the earth. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you guys ready to get into it? All right. Well, we, like I said, we're uh, in a series called Signs and Wonders. It's an eight-week series, and uh, Pastor Lauren Thurston, uh, two weeks ago, uh, gave us a great introduction uh, into this series, and then Pastor Chris Tapkin last week encouraged us to be roof crashers, to, to live and operate with radical uh, faith and expectation to see God move. Uh, but I want to also share with you uh, of uh, what also is going to be coming up uh, after my message today. What I'm going to be preaching on is called the Messianic Miracles, but July 2nd, we have Lauren, Pastor Lauren Thurston coming back up, uh, and her message is titled, Take Off Those Grave Clothes. We have July 9th, Kenton Boone coming up, Pastor Kenton Boone with I Am Willing. Uh, July 16th, uh, our, our camp fund pastor, Julie Washington, is going to come up. Uh, and do you want to get well? That's a great question. And the answer is yes. Uh, July 23rd, uh, our, our pastor of missions, Michelle Briggins, is going to be teaching on taking Jesus at his word. And then closing out this series on July 30th, Pastor Chris Tapkin is going to be preaching on seed faith and seed provision. And so we're going to have an amazing time uh, uh, with the rest of this series. Um, and before we really dive in, I also just just quickened in my spirit and reminded that we have uh, two groups out on the mission field right now. We have one group coming back from Kenya, uh, and we have another group that is on their way to Nicaragua to minister to those with special needs. Uh, and we're a praying church, we're a worshiping church, but we're also a missions focused and gospel-minded church. So I just want to do this. Uh, this wasn't necessarily planned in my notes, but could we stand, uh, church? We're, we're in here, in, in away from the blazing sun in this nice air-conditioned room, um, not under the threat of persecution, uh, and living in a first-world country. And so we're we, I say that just to remind us that we should be very grateful and thankful for all of the blessings God has bestowed upon us. And from that place, I want us to just uh, extend our hands out, and I want us to pray over these two missions teams. Because they're out there, and we're sending them, you, all of you that have so, uh, sown and tithed in uh, to the church, have uh, equipped these two teams to go out and, and, and minister the gospel. Uh, into these two nations. And so can we just lift them up in prayer together? You guys just agree with me. Father God, we thank you that they, for the men and women of God that had said yes to the assignment to taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. God, we pray for the ones uh, in Kenya that are on their way, God, that the, that, that the seeds that were planted and deposited would be watered and bloom and reap a harvest. And God, that that the things that were, were done in the hearts and the lives of our team coming back from Kenya would be released and imparted into our community, God. And uh, also for the team in Nicaragua, God, we pray, pray for travel uh, mercies over them. As they, as they head uh, to do your work uh, with special needs, God, you love that community um, and and, and, and you, and man, it just takes a really, really special person uh, to go out and minister the gospel um, uh, to, to, the, to the people 
uh, with special needs. And so we pray for all of the uh, resources of heaven to be allotted to them to see the gospel preached in Nicaragua. We bless you, Jesus. Bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys so much for doing that. It means a lot. Okay. Mosquito time. <laughs> All right. Well, my message today is on the messianic miracles. Pastor Lauren Thurston gave us a great definition uh, two weeks ago when she preached. She said, what is a miracle? Okay, that's, a, that's the first thing. If we're going to be talking about the messianic miracles, we've got to define, well, first of all, what is a miracle and who is the Messiah? Right? So first of all, we're going to answer the question, what is a miracle? Uh, Pastor Lauren Thurston gave us a great uh, definition. An extraordinary event attributed to the supernatural work of God that transcends the ordinary laws of nature. That's a great definition. Don't you agree? Yeah, thank you, Pastor Lauren. Um, so that's the first question we have to answer. And then the second question we have to answer is, who is the Messiah? Now, for some of us that may be new to the faith or maybe you're a first-time visitor exploring Christianity, we want to say, first of all, welcome to the church. We pray that you uh, feel safe and at home here and that uh, we can host not only the presence of God well, but host our visitors well. But the, uh, the, the term Messiah is a Hebrew term that simply means anointed one. In Hebrew, it means anointed one. Uh, and it's anointed one in the Greek is also where we get the, the term Christ. So Jesus, Christ isn't Jesus' last name. <laughs> it's, a, it's a title, and it just means Jesus, the anointed one. Uh, actually, his Hebrew name is Yeshua, if you ever were curious about that. We call him Jesus, but his, his Hebrew name is Yeshua, which means salvation. Isn't that interesting? So uh, when Jesus was anointed, um, he, he became the Messiah of God. And we're going to talk about when Jesus was christened as the anointed one later on in the message because um, Jesus is the Messiah. If, if you're wondering, in the Christian faith, uh, he is the anointed one of God. Uh, the, the, the Jewish people uh, today don't recognize Jesus as their Messiah, as their anointed one. Uh, in Islam, they don't, they, they don't recognize Jesus as the Messiah, but I believe they recognize Muhammad as their Messiah. Um, they believe Jesus is a nice guy, he's a, he's a prophet, but they don't believe that he is the Messiah. But in the Christian faith, obviously we, we believe that he is, he is the Messiah or the Mashiach, the, the anointed one of God, the Christ. Okay, so now that we've defined what is a, a miracle and who is the Messiah, now let's talk about what is a messianic miracle. Well, simply put, it's a miracle that only the Messiah or the anointed one could perform. You know, miracles were not uncommon in Jesus' time. You know, uh, when we read the Gospels, 
and we see Jesus performing these miracles in Scripture, we have to understand that uh, in Jesus' uh, time, that that signs and wonders and miracles weren't weren't necessarily out of place. They were pretty common. Um, and what in, what, it, what would happen is over hundreds of years of priests and rabbis being being empowered by God to perform signs and wonders and miracles. They began to uh, create a custom of miracles that could be performed when you were empowered by God as a human and ones that could not. And, and let me just give you a little bit of more context. We, we believe that God has, can do miracles, right? We have Moses parting the Red Sea, you know, countless uh, examples of ordinary people partnering with God to see supernatural things occur, right? Cool. Glad we're on the same page. Okay. Uh, but in Jesus' time, like I said, uh, the rabbis and the priests of that time would be able to perform certain miracles, and the miracles that they could not perform, they began to attribute to the Messiah. Meaning, they said, well, we, we can do this when we're empowered by God, but we can't do that. Therefore, the only person who could do the things that we cannot will be the Messiah. And that will be one of the ways that we'll be able to identify who he is, is by the works that he does. Does that make sense? This is where the Hebrew people came up with the concept of these messianic miracles. Now, there are four miracles uh, that are considered messianic miracles um, uh, in the Hebrew tradition uh, that only the Messiah could perform. These miracles are, one, healing a person born blind. That's important, born blind. Uh, number two, casting out a mute demon. Uh, and that is a demon that uh, possesses a person that causes the individual to not be able to speak. Um, number three, resurrecting or resurrection after four days. Um, and lastly, healing a leprous person. Um, we're going to focus on uh, the first two. And in the upcoming weeks, uh, Lauren is going to be talking about uh, Lazarus out of John chapter 11, and Pastor Kenton Boone is going to be preaching about the leper in Mark 1. Uh, and so, but I want us to focus on the first two today, because that's probably all we're going to have time for. Um, so, in, in Hebrew tradition, there was this belief that if you were born blind, not became blind as a result of an accident uh, or some sort of tragedy, but that if you were born blind, uh, that it was, a, it was a curse, a generational curse as the byproduct of sin in your family line. Meaning they said, okay, if this baby was born blind, the question they would ask is, okay, what did mom and dad do wrong? Or what did grandma and grandpa do wrong? Right? So being born blind was believed to be an inherited generational curse as the byproduct of sin in your family line. And the only way in Hebrew, in Hebrew custom, the only way to break the curse 
was to have the power to forgive sin, which only the Messiah had the authority to do, right? So it was one of these situations, right, like I was talking about, so the rabbis and, and priests of the time could perform certain miracles, but they could not forgive sin. And the only way to break the curse of being born blind was to have your sins forgiven. So it was one of these unfortunate situations where if you were born blind, they would look at you and say, man, I'm sorry, but there's nothing we can do. We don't have the ability to break your curse because we cannot forgive sin. Are you tracking with me? And so when Jesus shows up on the scene in John chapter 9, he heals this blind person to the astonishment of everyone around him. Now when you read the, when you read the Gospels, particularly when Jesus is performing miracles, I think it's important to take a moment to see how the people are responding. Because when Jesus performs this miracles, they, they begin to say things like, could this be the Messiah? Why are they saying that? Well, because they understood that should not be, that, that, no one should be able to do that besides the anointed one of God. And so when Jesus does it, everyone starts to pay attention. and says, okay, he healed that person. Let's do some calculation. Well, the only way that you can be healed is if the curse was broken. Well, but the only way that you could break the curse is if you have the power to forgive sin. Okay, well, the person's, Jesus touched the blind man and he has sight now. That leads us to the conclusion that maybe he's the Messiah. Maybe he has the ability to forgive sin, which will break the curse, which will lead, which led to his healing. That's, this is why it's considered a messianic mirror. You guys track, tracking so far? All right, cool. I got, a, I got only a little bit of time. I'm going to have to uh, power through this. And I'm really sharing these uh, miracles as to, to set up for where I really want us to land. Uh, but the second messianic miracle I want to talk about today is casting out a mute demon or, or a demon that caused someone uh, to not be able to speak, and we find this story in Matthew chapter 12. Um, and you have to understand that uh, Jesus is not a Christian. I know that may scramble your circuits, <laughs> but Jesus was a Jew, you know. Christians are, right, what does Christ mean? Anointed one, Christos, you know. So we're followers of the Messiah, followers of the anointed one. We are Christians following in the ways and the teachings of Rabbi Yeshua. Uh, so Jesus was, I say that only just to help us understand that when Jesus is ministering, he's operating under the methodology of the Jewish religious structure of his day and time, right? And so in, in Jesus' day and time, when, uh, when someone had a, was possessed by a, a demonic spirit, now we don't necessarily see that so much in the West. Our demons are very quiet because they're very comfortable. Uh, we often see more of the supernatural and the demonic activity in places like Kenya and Nicaragua where they don't, you know, they have to cry out to uh, a supernatural uh, power because they, they don't have the privilege of crying out to, to Benjamin Franklin. Does that make sense? 
Uh, so I'm not trying to ruffle too many feathers, but I'm just trying to give you a little bit of context that this stuff is real. It is real. There, there is a kingdom of darkness that is in opposition to you and to your family and to your destiny, right? But, but it's also true that there is a kingdom of light that is for you, that has uh, equipped and empowered you that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Amen? That was for free. Woo! Okay. <laughs> All right. So, um, so Jesus is, op- like I said, Jesus is operating under the, the, the methodology of that time. And, and at that time, to, to uh, remove a demon from within an individual, the, the way that they would do it, the custom by which they would do it, is they would, they would, they would speak to the demon inside of the person and ask the demon, what is your name? And being compelled under the, under the, the power of God, uh, through the rabbi or, or, or the priest uh, at, at that time, the demon would reveal its name, and then the, the priest or the rabbi would rebuke and cast out the demon by its name, right? You, we see this in a couple of different examples, right? You only cast out Beelzebub by Beelzebub. Do you remember this story in the Bible? That's what they're referencing. It says you only have the authority to cast out this demon because you do it in the same methodology that we do by casting it out by its own name. Or when Jesus encounters the, the demoniac or the man of the Gadarenes, uh, which has a legion of demons, and he says, you know, the, it, it, the, the demon reveals and says, I am legion for there are many demons within us, right? And then Jesus says, go, and all the demons flee, and they you know, get into a herd of pigs, and it's the first example of deviled ham that we've ever had on the earth. Um, <laughs> you could take Will out of the church, but you can't take Will out of the people he's influenced. We love you, Pastor Will. Okay, so keep, keep all of that in mind. So a person who cannot speak, right, so this, so this is why it's a messianic miracle, because the demon... Uh, that's within the person in this, in this encounter is unable to, the, causes the individual to not be able to speak. Well, if you can't speak, then the demon can't tell you its name. Right? Let me read this. A person who cannot speak is unable to reveal the demon's na- name. Therefore, it cannot be cast out of the person. Right? So, it's another one of those, man, I'm sorry, this is a huge bummer guy, but, you know, the only way that we know how to cast out this demon is by getting it to reveal its name. But the demon is got a grip on your voice, and so we can't get it to reveal its name. Therefore, you're just going to have to live in this unfortunate state, Right? And so, again, when they would come across this scenario time and time again, they would, again, attribute, well, only the Messiah should be able to do, to deliver this kind of person in this situation. So only the Messiah would have the power and authority to cast out a demon without having to know or use the demon's name. You know, uh, and, and Jesus does it. And to the astonishment of everyone around him. They begin to say, we have, we have not, we've seen this a couple times, or we've seen this 
you know, every once, every couple hundred years. They, they, the Bible says that the people began to say, we have never seen this. We have never seen someone operate in this level of power or authority. Right? This is why they're considered messianic miracles. You know, but here's the thing, guys. Is the, the, the people, the, the religious structure of Jesus' time uh, created a custom of prerequisites that Jesus was not obligated to fulfill. Right? They, they, the, peop, the people of that time, the religious community came up with this idea called messianic miracles. Right? It, Jesus was the Messiah and the anointed one, and we're going to get to this in a second, before he even performed any miracles. He didn't have to earn his way into that position. But the, but the religious structure said, okay, this, it's, it's, we do, and we do it to God all the time. If you're a real God, you'll do this, this, and this. Right? Or if you love me, Lord... You'll jump through this hoop, this hoop, and that hoop. We, we can, you know, turn our nose up and, uh, and get flustered with the Pharisees as, oh, you're so religious, you're so pious, you know, you're, you're putting all these restrictions on God. We do the same thing, guys, if we're honest. And, and that's what these messianic miracles truly were. They were, they were these prerequisites that, the, that religion had put on God that he was not obligated to fulfill. But here's... The amazing thing about Jesus is that he fulfilled them anyway. He didn't have to. I want you to understand that this is an example of the extraordinary love and seemingly limitless patience Jesus has with us. That he's willing to jump through our hoops. Isn't that amazing? What other God lowercase g, would do that. None of them. But our beloved Jesus. So this all leads to a situation in John chapter 10 where Jesus begins to proclaim, I and the Father are one. Now for the sake of time, I'm just going to kind of paraphrase and just kind of blow through this story because it's setting up where I really want to land. It, in this moment in Jesus' ministry, he's been performing signs and wonders and miracles, healings, all of these things, deliverances. And the people, of, people come to him and say, hey man, are you, are you the Christ or not? Are you the Messiah or not? Just tell us plainly. And Jesus replies, he says, I already told you who I am. And they're kind of like, huh? And he says, I told you by the works that I have done, but you do not believe. What works do you think he's referring to? These messianic miracles. He says, I've already revealed, you're asking me, and you want me to tell you in plain Hebrew, or Aramaic, I don't know what language they were speaking back there. He says, you want me to say, I, I am the Messiah. But I've already shown you who I am. By the works that I've done. I have fulfilled your prerequisites of what it is to be the Messiah by performing these specific miracles. And it says, you do not believe because you're not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. And he begins to go on 
uh, it begins to expound upon that and say, me, uh, the Father and I are one. So in a way, he is answering their question. He showed them who he was by performing these messianic miracles, and then he begins to tell them in a roundabout way, yes, I am the Messiah because I and the Father are one. And here's the crazy thing, is that they begin to pick up stones and want to kill him. And I love Jesus. He's so funny sometimes. Because his response is, for which one of these awesome miracles do you want to kill me? Kind of like throws it back in their face. Uh, and they say, no, it's not because of any of those messianic miracles you did. It's because you claim to be God. Well, that's the question you just asked me. Isn't that weird? You get mad with him immediately for answering the question they asked because they didn't like the answer. And so they try to kill him. Jesus escapes their grasp, and it says that he returns to the River Jordan. Okay, what's significant about the Jordan River to Jesus? It's where he was baptized. Remember? And what happened when Jesus was baptized? Well, we understand that according to, uh, you know, the Christian uh, faith, that baptism, even for Jesus, that was him being anointed as the Messiah. But more importantly than that is that when he came up out of the water, the heavens opened and the Spirit of God descended upon him like a dove. And a voice from heaven, which we know to be the Father, said what? This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. What was the very thing that they wanted to kill him for? Because he claimed to be God's Son. I think this is very important to to grasp is that Jesus literally returned in the midst of almost being murdered by and 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 you got to think about this Jesus was only doing good things he was healing the sick raising you know raising the dead he was casting out demons he was multiplying food he was teaching and and, and bringing revelation and insight that was profound beyond beyond any of our capacity to even comprehend and they want and imagine if you did all of those amazing things and everyone in the room wanted to kill you because and you only and you were only doing good things now listen I, I'm, I'm human and Jesus was also you know uh, understands our our human uh nature and and can relate to us if that was me and if I was in Jesus shoes at that moment I probably would have just dusted off my hands and said, forget y'all. Can, can you guys relate to that sentiment? Like, all I'm doing is trying to reveal the Father. And I'm, and I'm jumping through the hoops that you created. I'm going through all of these extraordinary lengths, and you want to kill me? I'm done with y'all. Thankfully, we know that that wasn't Jesus's response that may be most that might have been might have been how most of us would have responded but I think it's important to know that Jesus literally returned to the place where the father spoke identity over him 
He physically returned to the place to where he could be reminded of the affirmation of who he was because that was the very accusation that was coming against him. Now, let me, let me say it this way. If Jesus, our Messiah, our Lord and Savior, had to remind himself of who the Father says he was, how much more do you think we need to do that? I'm going to invite the band worship team to come back up. You know, what's interesting is that when the Father in Jesus' baptism said, this is my beloved Son and with whom I'm well pleased, he hadn't performed any miracles yet. He hadn't done anything. He didn't have to earn his identity with the Lord. And I would say that Jesus is the Messiah by attribute of being the Father's Son. You know, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus begins to ask his disciples, who do you say I am? Jesus already knows who the, what the Father says about him. Jesus knows what he thinks about himself. But he begins to ask the people, who do you say that I am? And out of all the responses, one disciple, Simon Peter, stands up and says, you are the Messiah. But not just the Messiah, he goes on to say, the Son of the living God. Listen, church, when we acknowledge who Jesus is as the Son of God, we can then trust in who he says we are as adopted brothers and sisters in the family of God. Can we stand to our feet? I'm going to finish with this. In John chapter 14, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through me. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, whoever believes in who I say I am, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, in and whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Listen. Let me, it's, it's somewhat of a rhetorical question, but can Jesus perform miracles? Yes. And we would answer, and then I would ask the question, why? Most of us would respond with, Oh, because he's God. Okay. So if divinity is the prerequisite for miracles, then how do we rectify God having an expectation of his followers to perform miracles when we cannot become gods? You, you, are you tracking along with me? We cannot become God. So if our, if our understanding of being able to do miracles is, well, Jesus did it because he was God. Well, then that, and if that's our understanding and position, then we, then we ultimately have done disqualified ourselves from performing miracles also because we can never become God. So there has to be another 
there has to be another factor. And this is what I want to propose to us this morning is that maybe it has to do with our relational status with the Father. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. What if the miracles that Jesus performed were done because he was the, the, the best example of mankind living in right relationship with God? And here's the reality. When you accept Jesus, when you say, I believe in who you say you are. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He looks and says, that's awesome. On this revelation, I will advance my kingdom on the earth. And when you understand who he is, you'll begin to understand who you are as a, an adopted son and daughter of the living God, which means that you have access to the Father, who is the one that has the authority and the power to bring miracles on the earth. But here's the thing, church, is that God can do it sovereignly without you. But just like Jesus... He wants to do it not only in you, but through you. And every person in this room that is a born-again believer, that has been adopted into the family of God, has now, have access, now has access through the blood of Jesus to the Father to be able to be a conduit for signs, wonders, and miracles on the earth. You have to believe that about yourself, church. Yes, God can do miracles because he's God. You cannot become God, but you have access to the Father because you're a son and because you're a daughter. So miracles are possible for every believer that's walking in right relationship with God, that acknowledges his lordship and his sonship, his position before the Father as a beloved son. Now, I know we've gone over time, but is it okay if we respond to this revelation in worship? Is that okay, church? I think it's important because what I just shared with you may be, might have just fried your circuits. But the invitation I want to give right now is if you're not, con if you're discontent with just coming to church on Sunday, checking off a box, and trying to just survive till next Sunday, and you recognize, man, I want the more that God has promised me. If you would say, JD, I'm quickened in my heart right now, and I feel like I'm not living up to the potential that God says is available for me, that I want to be like my older brother Jesus, to be a co-laborer with the Father and the Holy Spirit, to see signs and wonders and miracles flow through my life. If you want that, if you want to cry out to God, to say, God, use me to advance your kingdom on the earth, I want you to come up to the front. I want you to make your way up to the front right now. Come on, it's okay. And this, all you're, all you're doing by coming up to the front is saying, God, I want more. I want more. 
I want to be able to partner with you to see miracles happen on the earth. And, and here's the reason why. is because there is a hurting and dying and afflicted world that's being, that is being punished and abused by the kingdom of darkness. God needs soldiers that are saying, I'm going to operate in the supernatural power of God to see the kingdom of darkness retreat. I am signing up to be a saber-toothed sheep today. Jesus, uh, you know, Jesus tells Peter when he acknowledges his true identity as the Christ, the son of the living God, he says, uh, on this revelation I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Understand, gates are for defense, right? So hell has gates, which means that it's on the defense. So what do you think that means the church should be on? The offense. And I'm, I'm tired of seeing a world afflicted by the Genesis 3 reality when God said, sent his son to die to, to model for us what, what true humanity should look like in partnership with God. And I'm ready to just take on hell with a water pistol. So let's just together just close our eyes and lift our hands. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer. We're going to close with a worship song. Father God, we thank you that you oblige us, God, that you jump through all these hoops to demonstrate your love for us. But more than anything, God, you, you want to reveal to us your true identity as the son of the living God. And we have been adopted into your family. And we want to do the family business, which is advance the kingdom of heaven on the earth with signs, wonders, and miracles. We worship you, God.